Hey everybody, welcome to the RBCC online campus. My name is Erica. I am our Graham student ministry pastor. I'm one of our teaching pastors here on staff and I am so glad that you're here with us today. Now, all of us have different skills based on the life that we live. You live your life one way, I live my life one way, so I've picked up skills that you don't have, you've picked up skills that I don't have. We all have kind of some unique combinations of them. Maybe you know like a bunch of dance moves because you're like a cheer coach or a dance teacher, or maybe you just like love to go line dancing. Uh, maybe you know a bunch of trivia because you're a history teacher, you drive a lot, and so you listen to like all of those like radio trivia competition things. I don't know what it is, but there's something that you have this like unique skill that if we were sitting down, I would love to hear from you. I discovered a very unique skill that I have. Many years ago, it was at a middle school camp. We were walking from the campfire to the cabins, and I can't remember if I was a student, if I was an intern. I think I was an intern at this point, and we were walking, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what word someone said. I don't know what, what melody they hummed, but I suddenly realized that I have all of the words to All Star by Smash Mouth burned into this brain. Shrek came out when I was growing up, so maybe that's the reason why, or maybe it's just popular. I don't know what it is, but these lyrics, they're in there and they're not going anywhere. But there is one set of lyrics in particular that I think about a lot like embarrassingly often, and it is these lyrics. My world's on fire, how about yours? That's the way I like it, and I'll never get bored. Okay, I gotta be honest. Almost everyone I know has a moment, has a season where they feel like their world is on fire. I frequently have those moments. But what baffles me is then, you know, like the lead singer is then like, that's the way I like it. Like, good for you, but that is so not for me. Congratulations to him, but like hard pass. But that on fire feeling comes for most of us, if not all of us. And it varies according to life stages and circumstances. But it oftentimes feels like everything is going wrong. And so not only do I think of those lyrics, I also think of the meme of the dog in the house that's on fire. And it's like, this is fine. You know, like sometimes that's just how we live is in this on fire feeling. And I think that worry is the thing that actually makes it feel like it's on fire. Things can be crazy and chaotic around me. I work with teenagers. I go to camp with them. Things can be crazy and chaotic. But it's when worry sets in that the chaos begins to feel like it is on fire. Worry shows up in a bunch of different ways, but it's oftentimes when something is outside of the norm. It's like worry is like, hey, 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 do you see that that thing that's it's there and it's not supposed to be there and it's not normally there? And like, do you have a plan and where's the fire extinguisher for us to put it out? But really all you've done is like driven a different way to work or school. Worry sets in because maybe uh, you ordered a different drink and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just not sure how this is going to go. You are worried about all of the perceived threats and you are then also worried about all of the threats that you have not perceived and you're just not sure what to do. Some of you have not known peace or rest for a long time. And in this series, Peace of Mind, we are wanting to address that the anxieties and worry and mental health struggles that we have is 
is, is something that we are living with day to day and also is not the best that God has for us. There are truth, there's truth, there are tools, there are tricks, there are different things that we can use to help navigate as we walk through anxiety and mental health. And here's the deal, God is not watching you struggle and being like, ah, you made a poor choice, like sort it out and come back to me. God is with us and present in our struggles. So we might as well like acknowledge him and learn from his wisdom instead of just trying to go it alone, sort it out ourselves. So today we are going to be addressing the question, what do I do with my worry? Because if worry is going to show up for all of us, that on fire feeling, the looming sense of dread, we have to be equipped to handle it. We are going to be in the book of Matthew together today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Now, Matthew is one of the four books that we know as a gospel. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a genre of books in the Bible, and it tells us about how Jesus lived, what he did. And, and gospel means good news because it was good news that Jesus came to earth. It was good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, rose on the third day and ascended into heaven. And in his time on earth, before he did those incredibly miraculous saving things, he traveled and he taught and he performed miracles and he built friendships. And one of the most in-depth and complete teachings that we have of Jesus is something that is called the Sermon on the Mount. It actually begins in Matthew chapter 5 and goes through Matthew chapter 7. If you want to read the whole thing, we're not going to read the whole thing of the Sermon on the Mount today, but you can download a really great app called YouVersion, and it is a free way for you to have the Bible on your phone or whatever device that you want to download it to, um, and it gives you reading plans, and it'll read it aloud to you, and you can find different translations. It is an excellent tool, and it is free, so, so why not, you know? Just like download it. It's a great, it is a great feature to have. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, right? So in, that, in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, while he was controversial to some, for the majority of people, he was pretty well loved. He was very popular. People would show up every time he began to teach. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to receive miracles from him as well. And some scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount was less of like Jesus getting up on a mountain and being like, here are all of these things. Here, here is what I want to teach you. But that it maybe could have also been more of like a retreat, that him and all of these people went away to a mountainside, to a hilly area. And that this teaching might have stretched for multiple days and it wouldn't have just been a, a few quick hours or, or what we just read here together but there are a bunch of people there and they're hearing Jesus. And for those who choose to take what Jesus is saying seriously, it is changing their lives. Now, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter five opens with such top hits as, uh, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who, came, who were before you. Then Jesus tells them to be salt and light, that he came to fulfill the law, uh, tells them that being angry at someone is the same as murder, so get your hearts right, uh, that if you look at a person with lust, it is the same as adultery, so get your heart right, only say yes and no. If someone slaps you, let them slap you again, love your enemies, instructions on prayer and fasting and giving to the needy. 
And then Jesus challenges them with the idea that their treasures should be in heaven, that they should not be spending their lives trying to accumulate more and more money and possessions and things that could potentially get them further ahead, but mostly will just sit in a storehouse and potentially rot away. But instead, Jesus is saying, invest in the things that matter in eternity. Invest in the things that will not rust. Invest in the things that will not go away. You cannot serve both, I want to have everything possible, and God. Those two things will constantly be in conflict. And then, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Imagine if there was like a page break there and then you're like, what does it say? What does it say? Or like Jesus had stopped there for a really long pause and everyone is like, just don't worry. Or imagine if like a pastor just took a really long time moving on to the next set of verses because she knows it's like making all of us squirm and feel a little bit uncomfortable. Wouldn't that be so rude? The audacity. Anyways, let's read it all together. Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Okay, there's, there's kind of a lot there. So let's go back and let's break some of this down together. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Birds are prepared to live the life that they find themselves in. They collect the things that are needed for them to survive, and then they keep going. They don't store up a whole bunch of stuff because they have found that their needs can be met as long as they leave their nest and do the things that birds are supposed to do every single day. And we can naturally pause there and say, yeah, well, like, birds aren't, like, running a business. Birds don't have this, like, giant house to maintain. Birds aren't trying to, like, care for ailing loved ones. And, and, and that's, that's fair feedback. That's fair pushback. But here is what I wonder. I wonder if we as humans pile more on our plate than what we actually need to be responsible for. There are responsibilities that come with being human, right? We are made in the image of God. We are to create. We are to steward. We are to live our lives well. 
So there are responsibilities, we have to take care of things. But I oftentimes wonder if we then pile on extra stuff because of worry, because of stress. Birds are saying, I'm just gonna be a bird. So they take care of what they need to. They're also not trying to be like beavers and dam up the water, you know? They find food for themselves and their babies. They, they build their, their nests beautifully. They poop on humans who are having a perfectly nice picnic. You know, like birds know what their job is. And they lean into that. And if God is providing in all of these ways for animals, how might God provide for us? Verse 27 says this. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think this is such a good question that Jesus is asking. Jesus is challenging this really human practice of worrying, and he's questioning it. And he's, he's, he's in questioning it, right? He's saying, like, hey, humans, like, you know, rein it in. Don't worry about so much. But I think anytime Jesus asks us a question, there's enough, like, we need to lean in. There's so much there. There's so much for us to think about and ponder. Worrying does not add time to our lives. In fact, worrying robs us of paying attention to what is actually going on around us and enjoying the present moment. We're constantly thinking about something coming and not actually getting to be present in the moment. I was once on vacation sitting next to a beautiful pool. The sun was shining, but I was under an umbrella because I'm a redhead and I burn really easily. I had an Oreo milkshake in my hand and worry began to show up. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, there's only two days left to the trip. How am I gonna pack? What's the airport gonna be like? Uh, what happened while I was gone? How many emails are waiting for me? Should I open my email like, uh, while I'm at the airport? Should I begin addressing things before my plane even lands back in Washington? Worrying was beginning to take away from me enjoying the moment. So while Jesus makes it clear that worrying doesn't add time, I would also ask the question, does worrying actually rob us of time? And Jesus continues again in this. He says in verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Again, Jesus is like looping it back around to nature, that there is so much there for us to learn. Now, I am not a nature person. Uh, I lived in California for two and a half years, and I remember talking with someone, and he's like, oh my gosh, you're from Washington? I'm planning a trip there in a few months. What are your favorite hikes? And I was like the hike from my couch to the fridge, uh, the, the, the hike through the mall, right? Like, I'm just, I'm not a nature person. But I do love to be in, like, mild forms of nature. I do love to learn from nature. I love sunsets. I love big bodies of water. I love getting to watch flowers grow. Nature is this reminder that I'm actually not that important to the operations of the world. I do not do a single thing to make the sunset. I do not do a single thing to make beautiful bodies of water appear. I do not do really anything to make flowers grow because I buy the bulbs and they just come up every year. Like I don't really even do anything for that. But it leaves us in this place of wondering something that we've kind of already danced around. But I think it's the thing for us to really take home. 
what you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. Because if God can provide for birds and flowers and let them exist in splendor and glory, and, and I get to be worth more than flowers and sunsets, how much more is God going to provide things for me when I'm actually paying attention to what he is doing? How, what more splendorous, enchanting, beautiful ways is God actually changing our lives and providing for us in incredible ways? Because if God can provide for all of those things, there are probably some things in my life that I need to turn over. Verse 31 continues and says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus pushes his listeners further, and in turn, us further. There were a bunch of people listening to Jesus teach right? They're all there. They're eager to hear the words that he has to say. And many of them who were there might have already had a relationship with God. And so when he says the word pagans, he's saying the, the people that don't have a relationship with God, these are the things that worry and consume and stress their brain. If your top concern is gaining more and more stuff, you are missing how God is inviting and calling us to live. And this is just like a quick aside. Again, this passage is addressing the accumulation of more and more and more stuff. This is not addressing basic needs. It is important and right for us to like be in pursuit of getting our basic needs met and for supporting the people around us who are also trying to get their basic needs met. Jesus is not saying like, oh, don't worry if you haven't had any food and you don't know when your next paycheck is coming in. That is not what he is saying at all. This is addressing the like mass accumulation that we find ourselves in. It's one of the reasons that we work with Coffee Oasis. If you are in our buildings on a Sunday morning, the coffee that is served is from Coffee Oasis, which is the only organization in Pierce County that is addressing and serving unhoused teens. It's an incredible organization and the work that they do, and we are passionate about supporting the work that they do. Okay, aside over. Thank you for indulging me. We have established now, like, worrying is bad. Worrying is not what Jesus has for us. Worrying is not the best thing that God has for us, but we still haven't answered the question of what do I do with my worry, which is a great question. So glad you asked. We have not read this passage yet, these next few verses, but we're going to read them together. We're going to jump now to verse 33, where it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. That is what we do with our worry. And you are like, excuse me? That is the weirdest piece of advice that I've ever been given. Here's what that means. That means that if you have said yes to following Jesus, we are called to live our life in the way that he asks us to. That means that we are to honor and praise Jesus. That means that we are supposed to think of God and worship him and praise him and live 
in the ways that he calls us to, which can be wildly inconvenient and inefficient, but so beautiful. And I remember the very first time I ever like went on like a health journey with someone who was actually also a healthy voice to listen to. And, and I, I, I was listening to this person talk and they're like, there is no food that is off limits, but you just like want to make sure that you eat this much of like veggies and you, you eat this much protein and you eat, you eat this much of healthy fat. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, like if I eat all those things, I won't be hungry for all of the other things. And then I was like, ding, 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 you silly goose. Yeah, that's the point. That if you're filling your stuff, if you're filling your stomach, with stuff that is good, you're not gonna like then just like eat a million Oreos or maybe you'll do both, I don't know, I can't speak to your life. Uh, but it's the same thing with our life. If we are filling our life with prayer, with the word of God, with serving, with being in community with other people, there is significantly less time for us to worry about things. It also says to seek God's righteousness. And it's like kind of, again, weird advice because righteous or righteousness is not a word that we use very often unless you're like a surfer dude. Um, and again, again, like I don't understand why that is a word that they have, have, have clung to so tightly, but they have. But anyways, uh, here is the definition of righteousness from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. And this is what it says. Conformity to a certain set of expectations which vary from role to role. Righteousness is fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship, whether God or other people. So seek the righteousness of God. Don't look for your righteousness. Look for God's righteousness. Look for who he says he is. Believe that it's true and live accordingly to that. It is part of God's nature and character to be a promise keeper. It is part of God's character and nature to come to us in our lowest and toughest moments. It is part of God's nature when we live in community with other people who are trusting God to have people that surround us that help us to get some of those basic needs met. And I know that that is like such a nice sounding idea, but here's how this has practically shown up in my life. When I am at my healthiest, when I am genuinely seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, at the end of every day, I sit down and I write out everything that is stressing me out. And that is because um, part of it is I'm not always great at realizing what is happening like in my body and my feelings and my thoughts. So this gives me a place to like dump it all out so I don't have weird dreams about my day. I seriously have way fewer weird dreams if I actually journal <laughs> about my day. But then here's what I also do. After I write all of those things, I write, God, I leave all these things in your hands because you are far more loving and far more powerful than I could ever imagine. It helps me to rest. It is saying that I am living in God's kingdom. I am not building my own kingdom. So I can put these things in the hands of God. And sometimes it's like, okay, God, that, it was eight hours. I can take those things back today. And sometimes it's like, okay, God, I'm going to just leave those things in your hands. But the things that cause us stress quickly become worry. The things that cause us concern quickly become worry. I am not perfect at this practice, but when I do it, I find that it genuinely helps. 
And seeking God's kingdom is not just like what we think about or what we turn our minds to or how we deal with our stress. It is also what we do with our days. We do not have the time to worry about, about what is happening everywhere else in the world if we are actually engaging with the people and the communities around us. It creates way less time for doom scrolling and it is a real gift. In the summer of 2017, um, my Oma passed away. Um, at this point in time, I was on staff here at Rainier View, um, and I was committed to directing middle school camp. And about five days before middle school camp started, she came to us and she said, I'm going to stop doing dialysis. And we were like, what? Dialysis um, is something for, in her case, she, was, she had a lot of medical mysteries, to be perfectly honest, um, but she also was in kidney failure, and dialysis was the only thing that was keeping her alive. And so she said, like, I'm going to stop doing dialysis. I was like, okay, well, uh, I have to go to camp, but thanks for sharing. Um, and so I, I, I didn't have a choice. I showed up to camp and I directed camp. And I, and I wonder about how different my time would have been spent if I had been home. I probably would have been really consumed with worry and fear and concern and making sure that everything was going perfectly for everybody all around me. But instead, I was at camp, so I was throwing chalk powder and planning games and preaching and coordinating worship and being like, why are you out of your cabin after lights out? What's happening here? You know, those kinds of things. Now, I am not advocating that we make our lives so busy that we never address sin, brokenness, or any problems in our lives. But what I am advocating for here is how different our lives would be if we kept our eyes on God, did the things that he asked us to, and, and would that cause us to worry less? So here is my challenge to you. Here is my encouragement to you. At the end of every day, end your day like I do on my best days. Journal about your day. What are the things that are stressing you out, right? Because as we established previously, what you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. What are the things that are causing you concern or pause? What are the things that are taking up so much space in your brain? And honestly, some of those things are right things. If you have children, you should be concerned about the well-being of your children. But when it goes from like, okay, am I prepared for tomorrow to, I can't stop thinking about tomorrow, when it begins to take up unwelcome real estate in your brain, we've got to address it. So begin to look at those things that you are stressing about and then leave them in God's hands and just be like, okay, God, for eight hours, I'm going to go to sleep. You're in control. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a good place to start. God is in control all the time, but it's really good for me to be like, okay, God, for eight hours, this is not about me. This is about you. But we have to begin to look and see. It is good to be prepared for our jobs, for school projects, for, for big, fun events that are coming our way. But when preparation turns to worry, it becomes a problem. So end your days journaling, but spend all of your days seeking the kingdom of God and God's righteousness.